Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good day, everyone. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Coach, your host, and with me, someone I know for a long, long time, the smartest guy I know, uh, author and lighthouse historian, Jeremy Dantremont. Jerry, Jeremy, you there? I'm here. Hi, Ron. How you doing? Good. Good to hear your voice again. Smartest guy you know. I guess you don't know very many people, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, count your blessings. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So uh, Jeremy and I have, have known each other at least from 2005, right? It was... That's right. Yeah. 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 And uh, we've done a lot of things together, investigated a lot of lighthouses, uh, did some strange cruises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true. They yeah. were very strange. Yes. But uh, we, we've, we've done a lot of things together, a lot of fun things, and uh, uh, I've always enjoyed everything we've done together. So uh, anyway, but uh, Jeremy is a member of the uh, Portsmouth Harbor. Um, oh, I, I, wait a minute. Aren't you president of ALF now? I am, uh, yeah, president of the American Lighthouse Foundation. But that's uh, that, that and the local chapter, the Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. That's all volunteer stuff. My job these days, for the last four years, is I actually work full time for the U.S. Lighthouse Society, which is based on the West Coast. Uh-huh. I'm here in New Hampshire, but uh, I'm the historian for the U.S. Lighthouse Society, so I do the podcast and various other things, and having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, you have an excellent podcast uh, called uh, Lighthearted, I believe, right? Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, two words, light, space, hearted, meaning people who have lighthouses in their hearts, of course. So uh, it's, And there are a lot of people that are uh, lighthouse enthusiasts. There are. There are. There's a lot of people who love to photograph them and visit as many lighthouses as they can. The U.S. Lighthouse Society has the passport program where you know people can get these – they look just like regular passport, and people get – Stamps, you know, they get like rubber stamps, uh, yeah. they get, get their passports stamped at various lighthouses, and that's super popular. And uh, there were people who visited hundreds and hundreds of lighthouses and gotten the stamps and everything. So it's a it's a very very popular hobby for sure. It's a uh, the lighthouse bug, I call it. It's it's a good contagious disease. Right, and you've been with Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse from when to when? 2001. Uh, what? Yeah, the year 2000. In the year 2000, Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle, New Hampshire, was licensed. <clears throat> excuse me, licensed to the American Lighthouse Foundation. And the following year, my wife and I actually moved to Portsmouth. So I founded the the Friends as a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation. Oops. Sorry, I had to mute myself for a second there so I could clear my throat and not make everybody listen to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you just died on me. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm still here. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I founded Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse Singular in 2001. But then a few years later, as you know, we got ownership of – the foundation got ownership of Whaleback Lighthouse, which is like a mile from Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, yeah. just over the line in Maine. 
and uh, we changed the name to Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, plural. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, we don't have access to Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse because the walkway going out to it was washed away in December. So everything's kind of on hold at this moment. You know, that, that's interesting because a, a lot of lighthouses really took some beatings this past year. And uh, I'm surprised, you know, so many years they've been around. They really doesn't seem like it, they got hit as much as widespread as, as it has been, you know, because even uh, where Island, they, they, the uh, landing dock got pushed all the way up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. A lot of different things, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And going back to Hurricane Sandy, which is 10 or 11 years ago now, Lighthouse in New York Harbor was wiped out by that. Uh, Hurricane Katrina, some years before that, a, a couple of lighthouses in, on the Gulf Coast were, were wiped out. So, um, yeah, stuff when like you, that. When is you say wiped out, you mean absolutely destroyed? Gone. Absolutely gone. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't aware of that. No, I thought, you know, trace. you just received damage. Really? Yeah, well, some are damaged and all these, you know, almost every time there's a major storm, there's some damage. This, there, right. was a, there was a nor'easter in April 07. That's the one where I, I think you've seen the pictures I took during that storm of waves actually going over the top of Whaleback yeah. Lighthouse, which is 70 feet tall. And uh, so there was a lot of damage at lighthouses during that storm. The covered walkway at White Island Lighthouse in the Isles of Shoals off the New Hampshire coast. The walkway was washed away in that storm. The Nubble wow. Light in North Maine had a lot of damage. But uh, yeah, those ones I mentioned, those are just completely wiped out, just gone. I, I know when I was chairman, we, we even had, uh, we lost that whole wall on Whaleback. Remember the, the uh, giant wall of... Uh, yeah. It was it like was a wooden, one day and bang, it was gone the next. Yeah. Wooden bulkhead, as it was referred to, it was kind of... Yeah. Blocking the seas from going between the old base of the old fog signal tower and the lighthouse. Yeah, it was yeah. huge, and it's just gone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it went. In Europe, maybe, but um, yeah. Uh, so there's, you know, uh, it's uh, uh, it's probably not going to get any less going forward as far as uh, you know, the the effect of these storms on these places and everything and rising seas and so forth. Uh, as you know, uh, my hope someday would be to, to stay in Whaleback during a, a Northeaster just to, so I could document what the, um, you know, lighthouse keepers went through in those type of cases. But then I found out this about two years ago, not last year, I think maybe the year before, mm -hmm. uh, somebody actually did that. They, not at Whaleback, but uh, at Graveslight. Um, I think you're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Dave Waller, who owns Graves Lighthouse in yep. outer Boston Harbor. Yeah, he has stayed there through storms. In fact, I think it was maybe a couple of years ago now. He, or maybe yeah. it was last winter, or not last winter, the one before. Yeah, I, I got but, confused um, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was there in a storm and actually ended up being there, I think, like three days straight. He, but he purposely went out there knowing a storm was coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's out there a lot anyway, but he but, you know, he decided he wanted to see what it was like in a storm out there. Yeah, that was always my hope. And, and but to document it so that we, we could do a film or something with it. Uh, but, yeah, he was out there and they they would uh, they were give, doing live reports for him uh, on one of the news channels, which was great. Uh, uh -huh. Dave's an amazing guy. He's really interesting. Lives in a restored fire station. I visited him there. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, he uh, he restores neon signs. He does special effects for movies and TV for a living. But he uh, 
he's just a he's like a man jack of all trades or a renaissance man is a better phrase for it um but um he's done a fantastic job with the restoration of that lighthouse graves light and i can tell you that sting the singer has been there and had a cup of tea with him i do know that for a fact oh that's kind of cool <laughs> yeah i thought so so uh when you took over in 2001 i believe you said uh you created the uh, friends of portsmouth Tower lighthouse uh what was the lighthouse like back then um it was in pretty good shape because the coast guard had uh done some restoration to it in 1998 they actually at that time they hired a contractor and they removed all the lead paint and repainted it um so w when we got it it was in pretty good shape um the the base when i first visited there with my wife charlotte in the late 1980s I'm gonna say it was like maybe 1987, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, we we were able to walk over to it. Now you can't walk to it because it's on the Coast Guard station, and they'll arrest you or worse if you if you try that. But yeah. we walked along the shore and got out to the lighthouse. And uh, at that time, the base of it was all broken up, and there were weeds growing all around it. And the lighthouse was rusty; it looked horrible. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, in '98, they did quite a bit of work. Um, so luckily we inherited it in pretty good, pretty good shape overall. The oil house was in horrible shape, as I think, you know, and the base of the lighthouse needed some work, but, but mostly it was pretty good. Yeah. But were you responsible for the, uh, walkway that, that washed away? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. The walkway, the, for people who don't know, there, there, there was like an 80 foot wooden walkway leading out to, it's been washed away and rebuilt actually a number of times in its history. But the one that was there when we got the license on the lighthouse was not very good. <laughs> um, it was kind of saggy and it was pretty old at that time. So uh, it, we didn't think it was safe. And uh, our organization rebuilt it in 2006. Uh, one of our uh, two of our volunteers, Pat and Kay Heffernan, actually financed that, which was really nice of them. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so uh, we built a nice walkway, but uh, that unfortunately is history now. Um, in fact, I was just there a few days ago, and Charlotte and I were there a few weeks ago, and at that time, the remaining part of the walkway, which is about half or a little less than half, the part mm -hmm. that goes out from the wall of the fort there, yep. was, is, you know, half was still there. But when I was just there a few days ago, it was worse, and it looks like it's about to just collapse. So soon there won't be anything there. Well, that might be a good uh, idea anyway, so that way they'll rebuild it from yeah. scratch. Yeah. Well, they will anyway. I mean, they'll yeah. get rid of that before they rebuild it. But it's just interesting to see that kind of crumble away. It's not, not a happy yeah. thing to see. I mean, see. that was built. Yeah, I mean, you know, over the years, uh, the, the uh, committee has done so much work to that lighthouse and restored the oil house. And, uh, you know, we, it, it really... It's been a lot of work and a lot of money that went into that lighthouse. People don't understand that. They think, oh, I'm going to buy a lighthouse. They see it's on auction. You can get huh. it for like nothing. It's like, oh, my God, you don't know what you're getting into. Yeah. Well, I always say, you know, talking about Dave Waller at Graveslight. Graveslight is a, you know, over 100-foot granite tower out on rocks on the outer Boston Harbor. It's pretty isolated. No, no nonprofit in their right mind wants to take over a lighthouse like that because it is so expensive as you say so i often say for a lighthouse like that or mine it's light is another famous one like that in new england uh, what's the one that's um, way out on the, the seven miles out i believe uh, six miles out uh the one that was up for sale years ago 
Um, well, I just want to finish the, the thought I was just saying. I oh, always okay, say I'm about, sorry. well, that's okay. Then <laughs> but I just want to finish that thought. They, uh, I, I always say with a lighthouse like that, these uh, remote, you know, granite towers out on rocks and stuff, the best thing is for a crazy rich person to buy them. And I think Dave Waller would accept that uh, description. He's, you know, in a good way. Uh, he's uh, he's the perfect person for it. Not that he's rich necessarily, but he has some resources, you know, to put into yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's that's why I mentioned that other one because that's exactly what happened to the. Yeah, minus. Yeah, yeah. minus yeah. is only about a mile out, but it's in a really rough. No, no, I'm area. talking about the one that's way out. Uh, Boone, Boone the house, Island. The house got washed away and everything. Boone Island. Yeah, Boone Island. Yeah, he owns that too. The same guy, Bobby yeah. Sager. He owns Minots and he owns Boone yeah. Island. That's one of the ones I thought we might touch on today is Boone Island, since it has some good ghost stories. Oh, I'm since not sure. We brought it up. Why don't we take a look at it? <laughs> sure. I'm not sure if we've talked about it on uh, your shows before. If we did, it was quite a while ago. Yeah. But um, it's uh, it's it's a spooky looking place. I mean, all that's it's a pile of rocks. It's like six miles out from the nearest point of land. A lot of people listening probably know the Nubble Lighthouse in York, Maine. That's super popular, very well known. It's like the the perfect postcard picture of a lighthouse. But then if you're there looking at the Nubble Lighthouse and look out in the distance, you can see Boone Island, just like a little you know pencil out there in the distance. But it's actually, have I lost you? No, oh, yeah. you are. Okay. Your your picture and uh, disappeared and then and it made a strange sound. So I thought I lost you for a second there, but oh. I see you're still here. Anyway, so uh, yeah, Boone Island is like this little uh, you know needle in the distance when you're on land there, and it's just a pile of rocks with the tallest lighthouse in New England on it, Granite Tower. It towers uh, about 130 feet tall, and as you said, there used to be a stone keeper's house there in the blizzard of blizzard of 1978. There were two Coast Guard guys there in one of the worst storms in New England history. The island was basically underwater during that storm. These two guys, I interviewed one of the guys on my podcast, one of the last was at Boone Island, and he said the water started, you know, all of a sudden pouring into the house. They're sitting there watching TV or whatever, and all of a sudden, this, the, you know, the house gets flooded, and he said it went to the electrical outlets, and they start shooting sparks all over the place, so they thought okay. it was time time to go, and they rushed to the lighthouse tower and went up in the tower, and the island was, uh, you know, as they would say, uh, awash, and uh, that they were up in the lighthouse tower for a day or so. They were there, for, I think it was more than 24 hours, until the next day when a helicopter came. They had to go up to the top of the lighthouse, the 130-foot lighthouse, what they call the gallery, you know, the walkway at the top of the lighthouse right. outside the lantern. They went out there and helicopters hovering over them and dropped down a basket, you know, on ropes. And they had to climb over the railing oh, God. above the rocks there, climb over the railing, get into that basket and get hauled up into the helicopter one at a time. And this guy I interviewed uh, said never afraid of heights until after that. Now he's still afraid of heights. But uh, that had to be pretty, pretty terrifying. But anyway, they got off okay. But then the house was so badly damaged, the Coast Guard basically burned down what was left of it. They destroyed it. Um, They didn't want to take care of it anymore. They automated the light, so they didn't need uh, keepers there anymore. Uh, And uh, so just the lighthouse was left standing alone. But Bobby Sager, who bought bought it at auction from the federal government a few years ago has rebuilt a house there i'm not sure if you've seen that oh he has no i did not yeah yeah Yeah. i know that yeah i know that jim uh and and i actually tried to buy that stupid lighthouse but uh (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, yeah Jim Leslie and myself, but uh, it, you know, the bid was way too high for us. So, yeah. Well, but yeah, um, it, it, so you rebuilt the house on it, huh? Yeah, yeah, and I don't know how it's doing to be honest. I haven't been out there this year. I am going. I will be near it in September, so I'll see how it's doing. But um, yeah, uh, as he started building it two or three years ago, it's not as big as the old keeper's house. It's sort of a mini version of it, and it's pretty close to the edge of the island. And I have to, uh, you know, I couldn't help wondering: is that going to hold up through the major storms out there? I hope it does. I, I have no idea what kind of materials are were used and that kind of thing. But um, you know, I certainly wish him the best with that, obviously. Right. Uh, but um, it was interesting to see a new house go up there. So. Yeah. Uh, I'll report on it in September when I get a close look at it. Any uh, ghost stories associated with the island? Absolutely, yeah. Um, some people, I know you know about, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about the famous shipwreck that was there in 1710, December 1710, uh, December 10th, if I remember correctly, 1710. And uh, it was the Nottingham Galley. It was a ship from England, and uh, it had picked up, uh, it was carrying rope, uh, and also, I believe they picked up a cargo of cheese from Ireland and then headed over. To, they were going to go to Boston. Uh, captain was John Dean, who was a pretty uh, experienced captain. But they were they kind of came in towards the coast, you know, north of Boston, off southern Maine. And they were in a sleet storm in the like the wee hours of the morning and went aground at Boone Island. And the ship just kind of broke apart and there were uh, 14 men on board and they all got off the ship safely, but the ship was gone. So they were stranded there on this island, you know, six, seven miles offshore. They could see the shore, but they couldn't get there, obviously. But two, they managed to recover a little bit of wood and a couple of the guys made a raft and they tried to go ashore on the raft, but they were later found dead. They didn't make it. and meanwhile, but that's how people on shore knew that there must be people out there. And eventually they went out and explored and found them. But meanwhile, on the they said, the guys on the island who uh, survived, not including the two who died, you know, trying to get ashore, mm-hmm. the other uh, 11 of those men made it uh, almost a month on that island in winter, harsh winter weather with basically no food. They oh, wow. killed a seagull at one point, and they got a few mussels, you know, off the seaweed and stuff, but that was about it. They had no fresh water, so I guess they're drinking seawater or whatever, which is, of course, really bad for you. Um, the ship's carpenter died uh, on the island, and they made use of his remains. You get you my drift? They ate them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you put it so delicately. Yeah, yeah I, yes. know, I know, I <laughs> know. Um, yeah, like and you'll chicken. often hear when people tell the story, they'll talk about the cannibalism on Boone Island. I mean, you know, it wasn't like widespread cannibalism or anything. Right. It was just the one guy. And often you'll hear, like I've heard people narrating cruises in the area, and they'll talk about it, and they'll say, and the ship's cook died, and they ate the cook, which kind of has like a poetic, uh, you know, justice kind of quality to it or something. <laughs> but that's not what happened. It was the carpenter. Um but anyway, so the but the other eleven guys survived almost a month, and then finally a boat went out from Portsmouth, which is Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is the nearest was the nearest major city to there at the time. And uh, the the guys who went out to the island said that the the men the survivors looked wild. They were wild men, as if they had been living there for years, and they were emaciated, and they'd only been there a month, but still, you know, basically no food and no fresh water. Yeah. 
in winter. Yeah, in winter, right, with no cover. Um, so, um, and John, the captain, was played up as a hero by some people, but the first mate and another guy on the crew wrote a book saying that Dean was more of a villain than anything. There's actually a more recent book about the whole story that kind of makes Dean look like a villain, like he was doing some smuggling. And then he may have actually done, uh, run the ship aground on purpose for insurance money. I don't know about that. But he went on to um, – he because he was looked down on in England, he, like he couldn't uh, captain ships anymore, and he ended up going to Russia and being a spy for the Russians and giving really? them information on the British Navy. Yeah, so he had an interesting life. <laughs> But um, yeah, there are ghost stories in, on Boone Island, and they're often associated with that whole shipwreck story. Uh, <clears throat> I knew, a, well, at least I, I didn't really know him, but I talked to a keeper on the phone, a guy who was a keeper there in the early 1970s. His name was Bob Roberts. And he told me that when he showed up there, the other guys on the Coast Guard crew asked him if he believed in ghosts, and he thought that was pretty funny. And they, they said, you're not going to be laughing for long after you live here for a while. He said every time he would go out at night, uh, to tend the fog signal on the island, he felt like somebody was watching it, watching him, and he felt said it was a really intense feeling. He was sure like somebody was watching him, uh, and he said the other guys told him, "Yeah, well, that's where the cannibalism took place <laughs> from that part of the island." I don't know if that was true, but that's what they would tell him. Uh, so he felt pretty sure the place was haunted. But um, oh, and one story that he told me that was really interesting is that one day he was out there with another guy. Um, uh, can't quite think of his name, but that doesn't matter, and you wouldn't know him anyway. But uh, <laughs> so these two guys are out there, and uh, they went fishing. There was just they just had one small boat, you know, what they would call a peapod dory. They went out fishing in the afternoon, and they realized it was getting late, and they had to rush back to light the light at sunset. So they're rushing back, and as they're approaching the island, they see the light come on, and they landed, and there's nobody there, and they never figured out who lit the light that night. So it was pretty pretty odd. It's like the light lit itself, turned itself on. Uh, so I uh, never figured that one out. Um, it was not an automatic sensor as it, as it is now, of course. Um, but I've talked to other Coast Guard keepers there who really felt the place was haunted. One of them told me there was a, they had a dog out there at the time uh, when he was there. And uh, he said the dog would act like it saw something that nobody else saw and would run around like, you know, it was crazy and like it saw something that they couldn't quite figure out. So... That's one of the reasons he felt the place was haunted. It's it's so many interesting stories about lighthouses and, and hauntings and stuff. Some of it's because of the locations, of course, and the, the loneliness of some of the lighthouse keepers. But there's got to be some basis to so many of them. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, I think so. And what I like best is when you find a story that, kind of meshes with something you know that actually happened or with a real person you know who was there because a lot of these stories are legends there's actually a legend of boone island that you'll see in a lot of a lot of sources it's been in books it's on the internet uh you'll read that there was a young keeper usually say like in the late 1800s something like that a young male keeper and he went out there with his young wife and oh, that yeah. he got sick and died. You've heard this story, right? Mm -hmm. In the winter that he died and that his his wife uh, was, uh, you know, basically uh, kept his body. Didn't, you know, she, she was just out there by herself and her husband's body. So she tended the life for a while, but she went crazy. They found her, but she died soon after. And they say that her ghost haunts the island. Um, 
and some in some version of the story they actually give the names of the the husband and wife i think it's Catherine Bright, if I remember, has been given as the name. Mm-hmm. There's no record of anything like that happening there. It would, there would be a record of it if something like that happened. And there was never a keeper by that name or anything like that. And also, there were, always, there were multiple keepers out there for from the mid-1800s until 1978. There were always two or three keepers assigned there. So there wouldn't be just a husband and wife for any length of time out there by themselves. You know, that was that would be impossible basically so i don't think that's a true story but some of these stories may have some basis in fact you know maybe something happened and or maybe people experienced a strange what they thought was a female spirit there and they kind of made up the story to try to explain it you know so i don't know where it comes from but i don't think it's yeah i mean the one that has any lighthouse keeper yeah that's another one that people tell all the time but i don't think is strictly true you know they say that a New London Ledge, as you well know, we spent a night there, is in uh, off New London, Connecticut, off the mouth of the Thames River, and uh, they say they say that there was a keeper named Ernie there in the 1930s, and then he dove off the lighthouse to his death because his wife had run away with the ferry captain, that ferry that went by there all the time. Right. Um, so they say, and they 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 say again, I don't know who they are, but they they say a lot of things about that place. And they say that uh, it's haunted ever since then. Um, but there's no evidence that there was ever a keeper named Ernie or that any keeper ever committed suicide. But again, people probably have experienced odd things there and something there may have been a tragedy there, but we don't really know, you know, what yeah. what happened. Well, we are coming up to the break right now, so uh, we're going to take a break and we'll continue after it. Uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron Kolick, and my special guest is uh, Lighthouse historian and author Jeremy Dontremont. And uh, Jeremy, if people want to find you, where can they do that? Uh, I'm in my study in my house. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, they can email me at jeremy at uslhs.org. They can, uh, my personal website is newenglandlighthouses.net, but I'm involved in a lot of a lot of websites and social media and so forth. Yes, I'm easy to are. find. Okay, thank you so much, and uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after the following messages. Uh, today's show, uh, yeah, we'll be back. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a 
podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Memorex Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, not the end of Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. So become a member and have access to over 50 exclusive uh, videos, including our investigation of New London Ledge Lighthouse. Uh, I'm speaking with Jeremy Dontremont, and Jeremy, we actually had a question from you from one of the listeners, and they wanted to know, what is your favorite lighthouse? Huh. That's a tough lighthouse. Well, you know, I get asked that a lot, and I, the first thing I always say, and I really mean this, is that I, I feel guilty almost to name one. I think you know what I mean. It's like, you know, it's like naming a, naming a favorite child or something if you have a few children. Um, I have various favorites for different reasons, you know, some for beauty, some for history, maybe some for ghost stories. But um, I, if you're talking about for beauty and you've, you've like, you know, twist my arm until I have to give an answer, I would say Portland Headlight in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Um, I think a lot really? of people feel that way. Yeah, uh, it's visited by more than a million people a year. It's the most visited lighthouse in the world, really. Uh, but there's a number of other, you know, oh, that was the most sorry. photographed. Oh, no, no, no. I would say Portland Head gets over 1.2 million visitors a year, and I would say most of the photograph, but especially these days where everybody has cell phones and stuff. Fair enough. Uh, Nubble gets only maybe four to 500,000 a year. So um, Portland Head gets so many partly because cruise ships, uh, tons of cruise ships go in there in the fall, and they bust people from the cruise ships to the lighthouse. And sometimes yeah. in the fall, it'd be wall-to-wall people. But um, anyway, I was in Ireland last year, just about exactly mm-hmm. a year ago. And I saw Fastnet Lighthouse off the south coast of Ireland, and that is right up at the top of my list as just a spectacular lighthouse, Um, both in terms of, uh, you know, it's, I don't know if I'd call it pretty, but I'd use the word spectacular. It's it's a tall stone tower. It almost looks like it's growing out of this gigantic rock, and the keeper's house is kind of built into the rock, so you can barely see it. And it's just it's just amazing. I, I was, uh, you know, we circled in a boat, circled it a couple of times, and it was it was one of my peak experiences. <laughs> um, and it's got some tremendous history as well, including a yacht disaster uh, in the late 70s where um, there was a sudden squall. They have a annual yacht race where the boats go out and circle Fastnet Lighthouse. That's like the outer, you know, part of the race. Right. And uh, there was this squall, and uh, I have interviewed the lighthouse keeper who was at Fastnet during that storm. He saw this happening. The boat started capsizing left and right, 
and more than 20 people died. It's the worst yachting disaster in world history. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know of any ghost stories there, but it certainly seems like there might be. Yeah, um, I mean, there's some interesting stories from, you know, because the lighthouses are a little bit older in the uh, UK than uh, we have here. Uh, I, I had a, a couple who live in a lighthouse in Wales. And uh, in fact, uh, Doctor Who was uh, filmed there, a segment was filmed at that lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And and there's some really, really old uh, Steve Parsons, of course, who lives in Wales, is part of a, a volunteer service that keeps watching one of the lighthouses. So, as yeah. well. But do you know any ghost stories from over there? I do. Um, I know a couple in Ireland, uh, certainly at least one that I think uh, you know about, too, in Scotland, and then a couple in England. I've also been in England twice in the last few years. And there's one lighthouse that I visited there called Souter, S-O-U-T-E-R, Souter Lighthouse that's in the northeast coast. And that has a lot of ghost stories. Um, and Most Haunted, the TV show, was there, uh, I guess, uh, a number of years ago now. But they, they're one of their psychics, uh, maybe you know who he is, uh, Derek Hakora, is that his name? Um, yeah, I actually have a signed T-shirt for him. Oh, okay. All right. So you definitely know one of my favorites. Yep. Okay, yeah. So he was there for that investigation, and he came up with uh, the idea that this female ghost that they had been experiencing there was Isabella Darling, who was the niece of Grace Darling, is one of the most famous figures in lighthouse history in the world. She was at uh, Longstone Lighthouse off the east coast of England in the mid-1800s, and she and her father rescued a whole bunch of people from a shipwreck. It's very famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her niece, Isabella, was supposedly haunting uh, – Suter Lighthouse. The staff there at Suter Lighthouse was saying that um, they uh, saw spoons levitating in the house. Really? And, that would be cool. Uh, they said people felt that they were grabbed by an unseen presence and so forth. Um, they said that most of it took place in the kitchen or I guess uh, like a living room area as well. And uh, so again, most haunted said there was a lot of activity there. They also, Derek Cora also said there was a spirit named John who uh, he said he felt he, the guy was deeply depressed when he died. And I guess some research showed that there was somebody named John who, who died in that room where Derek was at the time. So, mm-hmm. so that's a pretty interesting one. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, St. Catherine's Lighthouse off the south, south of England on the Isle of Wight, looking out on the uh, English Channel. There was a bombing there during World War II, and the three keepers were killed by a bomb, by an air raid. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they were buried nearby uh, in the church graveyard, and there's a lot of reports of people seeing those keepers walking the grounds and supposedly basically carrying out their duties as if uh, you know nothing ever happened. And people say they've seen objects uh, moving on their own inside the lighthouse, and there's also reports of ghost animals there. I don't know the details on that, but as you well know, that's, that's not that uncommon. No. Yeah. yeah, I actually saw a, well, I, I believe I saw a apparition of a dog at uh, Wood Island, I else, which mm-hmm. is probably, uh, speaking about that, I mean, going back there uh, next month, so I'm excited about that. But yeah. uh, uh, yes, the, uh, I've told my story before, but basically I had uh, done a public investigation there for to raise funds for that group, and uh, it was a Saturday night and they dropped us off in the island, picked us up on a Sunday and Sunday morning I was having coffee in the lighthouse with uh, Sherry and uh, uh, we were 
just having coffee in the Sunday morning. I looked towards the kitchen. I saw a dog go across the door, but I didn't hear anything. So I got up and ran into the kitchen. There was no dogs there. The doors weren't open. No dogs anywhere in the lighthouse. And I came back and she asked me if I could describe it. And I said, sure, I could see him as clearly as I'm looking at you. And I described the dog and she just smiled and shook her head and said that, uh, you know, that sounds like... Uh, uh, a dog that used to live here, and when it was time for the lighthouse keeper to be relieved, the dog wouldn't go, and he stayed on the island. The other lighthouses tended to him until he passed away on the island, and then later on, she showed me a picture, and it looked like that dog. Can I see it? Was it? I can't, but uh, it certainly looked like uh, the dog I saw. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's it's interesting. You, you wouldn't think animals, but uh, there are other examples. I mean, yeah, a lot of adult. people. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's a lighthouse in Florida, if I remember correctly. I think it's the Pensacola Lighthouse, where supposedly there's a ghost cat that people have seen. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, it, you know, it's not uncommon. People who have pets uh, will tell you that they they feel that they're there in one way mm-hmm. or another. I mean, they'll, I don't know how many stories, and, and I've felt, had this experience myself where uh, they'll be in bed at night and they'll feel like, a cat walk across the bed is mm-hmm. people have cats have felt that before and even though the cat has passed uh, they'll swear that you know they felt the cat walk across the bed but there are other other stories associated with the animals too yeah but, i've definitely heard such things before yeah and it's 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 neat uh and i've interviewed other people like you know in other parts of the country like michigan because the great lakes have a great number of lighthouses uh and uh, yeah, there's a lot of ghost stories associated with them. There seems just to be a ton of ghost stories associated with lighthouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a woman I interviewed for my podcast, and uh, I'd have to look for a second to remember her name and the name of her book. But uh, actually, I think I'm remembering Diana Stampler, I believe. She wrote a book on haunted lighthouses in Michigan. It's hmm. quite interesting. I wonder if it's the same um, girl. I, I could be. But yeah. There's, there's yeah. so many neat stories about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even uh, we always talk about the the one that, you know, America's lighthouses were basically a lot of the good ones were copied from the, the English. Uh, uh, you know, they just use the same design. Uh, and But we had our own. We had that lovely one uh, that was like a spider. It was a metal thing. Uh, what's I can't think of the name of it. Are you talking about Minots, the first one that fell yes, over? Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes. Yeah, um, yep. yeah, that's, that's a good great. one that we should yeah. we could talk about for a few minutes here. But I just yeah. wanna I just wanna throw in that I I was just mentioned uh, Diana Stampler. Yeah, she wrote Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses and also a book called Death and Lighthouses of the Great Lakes. <laughs> so Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, and she's good. She's a good researcher, good writer. So I would definitely recommend those. Um, yeah, Minots uh, is off. Uh, the south coast of uh, like the on the southern approach to Boston Harbor off Cohasset and Situate Mass and the light we mentioned the lighthouse that's there now earlier it's a 114 foot granite tower on a ledge there ledge is completely underwater at high tide so it looks like the lighthouse is just growing out of the water there but mm-hmm. earlier in 1850 they they built a, it took like three years to build it, it uh, went into service in 1850 as you said like a spidery sort of thing it was on uh, tall metal um iron uh pilings you know drilled into the rock it was 70 feet tall and all and it had like a two-floor little 
home for the keepers at the top. And right from the start, the first keeper said that every time there was a storm, it would rock back and forth. And he said sometimes two feet in each direction. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. He actually, this is something I don't talk about too often. It's kind of macabre, but he brought a, a, a cat out. Speaking of cats, he brought mm-hmm. a cat out to the lighthouse to help keep him company. And the, the, during a storm, the cat went kind of went crazy from the lighthouse rocking back and forth. And they say it just ran out the door and just went into the ocean. That was the end oh, of the wow. cat. Yeah. But I don't know if it haunts the place there. But anyway, yeah. so um, the first keeper, his son was an assistant keeper and there was another assistant. They just they thought they were going to die every time there was a storm. And he actually wrote in the logbook at one point something like, uh, you know, God. God help us, or God only knows what the end will be. You know, the tower sways two feet, two feet each way now, and so forth. Um, he said the tower reels like a drunken man. That was a good phrase. Um, and uh, so he and the other keepers stuck it out for a few months. But then in October, uh, they were there almost a year. In October, they all resigned because they were afraid they wouldn't live through the winter. You know, the storms of winter. And another keeper came who was a. Uh, a veteran of the Navy in England. And he was confident until he was there for a storm. And then he said, this place is going to fall over. You got to do something here. And then the storm washed away the station's boat. He went to Boston to get a new boat. He left two young keepers in charge in their 20s, one from England, one from Portugal. And another storm came in while these two guys were out there with no boat. And people on shore could see the light until late at night. They heard the ringing of the fog bell after midnight and then nothing, no sound, no light. The keeper went to shore early in the morning. He saw pieces of the lighthouse washing up on shore. He saw articles of his own clothing that he had left at the lighthouse. So uh, the lighthouse had fallen over sometime in the wee hours. The two keepers tried to swim for shore. They died of exposure. One of them was found on an island. The other was found on a beach near there. Uh, and uh, it's pretty pretty famous. Um, so that's that's the sad part of the story. But the happy thing is they they t- took five years and built this amazing new lighthouse. That's one of the great lighthouses in the world. But there are ghost stories there. Um, nobody has lived at that light. Well, now it's privately owned. I don't know if uh, anybody's experienced anything recently. But um, the last keeper left there in like the 1940s. I think it was 47. And uh, there are some stories. A lot of what you'll hear is that uh, people see a, a figure on the ladder on the side of the lighthouse, and when this, this, this if there's a storm coming or if the seas are getting rough, they say that this figure on the ladder will yell uh, to people to stay away. And sometimes they say that he's yelling it in Portuguese. And yeah. of course, one of the young guys who died was was Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Um, but another story that was kind of cool was that there was there were two keepers in on, at the lighthouse. They used to assign three, and two would be out there at a time. The other would be on shore leave, and they kind of you know rotate through there. So this one keeper is doing some work late at night. He's at a desk on the a lo, I think a lower part of the lighthouse, and he heard knocking on the wall. Um, Wait a minute. Let me let me back up a little bit. He had a pipe. He was smoking a pipe, and he tapped it on the table or desk like three like tap 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 like three mm-hmm. times. And then he heard knock 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 as if somebody was answering him like a knock on the wall. And oh. he thought it was the other keeper, and he called him, and the keeper said, "I was asleep. What do you want?" 
He said, didn't you just knock on the wall? And the guy said, no. So uh, they uh, researched and found out that the in the first lighthouse that had the two floors for the keepers to live in, they would communicate with each other by knocking on a stovepipe. Hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe that was what they heard, like spirit knocking on the pipe or something like that. But anyway, if there's any place, a lighthouse that should be haunted, I think would be that one. Yeah, this, like I said, there are so many. We have our own at Portsmouth. We have so many tales regarding mm -hmm. Portsmouth uh, and, and so many that are, uh, I'd say, verified by the Coast Guide, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's no shortage of stories. And by the way, Ron, I'm, I'm working currently on a book on Lighthouses in New Hampshire for Arcadia Publishing, you know, Images of America, the series. Yeah. Uh, so I've been uh, trying to round up all the pictures I can, the historic pictures, including pictures of Joshua Card, the keeper who is the usual suspect for a lot of the stories at Portsmouth Harbor Light. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, just want to give you a heads up. That book will be coming. Uh, I think it'll be out next year. But um, anyway, you have yeah, quite a few books. Out, uh, you have quite a few books out on, on lighthouses, don't you? Uh, yeah, it depends on how you count them, but I'll say over 20. Mm -hmm. um but again <laughs> it's you know, like i did one on maine and then later they re-released it as four regional volumes so i don't know whether to count that as one book or five books or four books or but i counted as five so where are they available uh they're they're pretty much all on amazon um i'm also working on uh, barnes and noble too you know any online bookseller but um, I'm working on a new version of my Lighthouses of Connecticut, Lighthouses of Connecticut book for the History Press, so that'll be expanded from what I did over 20 years ago. Um, maybe sneak a, a ghost story or two into there, because uh, there's certainly a number of them in Connecticut. But um, yeah, so uh, it's hard. There's not enough hours in the day. I think you know what that's like. But um, so, have you ever experienced yeah. any any ghosts, uh, any paranormal activity yourself, Jeremy? Um, well, I think you, I think you know the answer to that because uh, our listeners might not. <laughs> I know that, yeah. Um, it largely relates to Portsmouth Harbor Light, certainly. Um, there was the time I'm gonna say, well, it was before Ghost Hunters did a show there, and that was 2008, I believe, that they were there. So I think it was like 2007, or maybe it was 08, around there. I was giving a tour for a young couple in the lighthouse, it was in the afternoon, it was like two in the afternoon, nobody else around, and we're standing in what you call the watch room at the top of the stairs. I was leaning on the ladder that goes up into the lantern where the light is. So I'm leaning on the ladder, I'm talking to this couple a few feet in front of me, this young couple, and I'm telling them a bit about the history of the place. And uh, as I'm speaking, I heard, hello. And I stopped and I said to them, did you hear something? And the guy said, yeah, I heard somebody say hello. And his wife said, no, I didn't hear anything. So it sounded like yeah. it was somebody like at the top of the stairs. And if you remember, there's like a wall there that was blocking that from where I was standing. So I stepped forward. I looked around. I looked down the stairs. There was nobody there all the way down the stairs. Nobody there. We looked outside. Nobody there. Nobody in sight. Um, and I know I heard a guy say hello. And it was Near that same time that one of our volunteers who used to be very involved, Ross Tracy, was up in the lighthouse by himself painting in the lantern room in the very top, all by himself. And he had headphones on. He's listening to music. And he thought he heard something. So he took the headphones off and heard, what are you doing? 
and the voice he described was a lot like what I heard. Um, and he decided he looked around, nobody, nobody in sight. So he decided it was time to pack up and go home at that point. But, um, so yeah. And, uh, other than that, for me, you know, some of the things we experienced during the investigations you and I have done have been extremely interesting. I also had experiences in the fort, Fort Constitution, which is next to the lighthouse, which, uh, there was an explosion there, of course, July, uh, 4th, 1809, when, uh, 10, probably 10, we don't know absolutely for sure, but 10 or maybe 11 people were killed. Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of story, ghost stories, you know, things people have experienced there. I was with another group doing, during an invest, doing an investigation there one night when uh, two of them said there's a presence here. And they both were doing dowsing with pendulums and they both, there seemed to be a lot of activity. They thought there was somebody there. And just as they're saying that, I, to me, it felt like some, something went through me. That's how it felt. It felt like a, like a cold rush through me, and I had to step over there in like a tunnel, you know, the sally port on the side of the, you know, you've been in there, you know what I'm talking about, the sally right. port on the side there, where people tend to have strange feelings, and I had to get out of there because I felt almost sick, and I was, I remember kind of putting my hands on my knees, you know, and feeling kind of out of it for a few minutes. Wow. Um, it was a strange feeling. Um, but. Yeah, but of course we've had investigations there and have have had interesting things happen as well. Yeah, the, I mean, there was a lot of people like you know dismiss it and stuff, but they go and they end up having an experience of a two, uh, and you never know it because it's it's so unpredictable what, what's going to happen. It's not like they're trained monkeys where they just you know. Mm-hmm. Back on on command, uh, you know. I mean, we we did the of course we did that famous when uh, uh, New London Ledge, where we took Jimmy, the construction worker, with us, and he was like, didn't know what was going on half the time. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, he was completely skeptical uh, going in. I'm not sure he was by the end, but no. Um, yeah, that was that was definitely interesting. That uh, early in the evening when. Uh, is few. I was not part of the circle that was sitting on the floor, but a uh, few of you were uh, there. And of course, Maureen Wood, uh, the psychic, uh, had a uh, pretty strong experience at that point. Yeah, um, he was saying, you know, because they were holding hands. She was holding hands with Jimmy. And, you know, Jimmy's a, a big dude. And uh, afterwards, there's a recording of him saying, like, you know, I, I have never felt any pressure, as much pressure on my hand as I did like that. It's yeah. like, you know, so it was un, unreal. But, this uh, kinda, yeah. yeah, it's like an oh. average soccer mom kind of kind of person. But she, uh, yeah, she's, and she, well, wasn't her other hand, were you holding her other hand at the yeah. time? Yeah, she tried pushing me away and everything. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. she's saying, you lie to you. Yeah, different voice and. Yeah, all the cameras went crazy, and yeah, it was it was it was a fun night. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, a, it was a long night. Kind of way. Yeah, it was both. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I remember seeing Maureen during that episode, uh, looking at you, and I thought Maureen's not home. <laughs> That's what I thought, yeah. you know, because she, she had this look on her face like there's somebody else there. It was it was really interesting. Um, but um, yeah, your first. She, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's interesting that she came up with an alternative to we talked earlier about the story of supposedly Ernie, the keeper, jumping off the roof there and committing suicide. Maureen came up with an alternate story saying that a construction worker was locked out by his uh, co-workers as a prank and that he was trying to get back in and he fell to his death. 
And to me, that's uh, I you know I don't know if it's true, but it's more believable than the lighthouse keeper story because that could have been covered up. If a lighthouse keeper died and committed suicide, there'd be a record of it as recently as the 1930s. There would definitely be a record of it. There is no record. But if it was a construction worker, maybe involved in the building of the lighthouse, um, you know, maybe the the uh, workers uh, covered it up and people thought he just disappeared or whatever. You know, who knows what happened? So it was an interesting alternative story. Yeah. The uh, you know your experience, first experience with her, of course, was in Portsmouth Harbor because when you called us in to do the first investigation there, and you were in the keeper's house, uh, and you had done a lot of work with uh, uh, Connie Small, who was yep. the lighthouse keeper's wife, and you knew her very well. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah. Well, this is 2005, right? It was August 2005 when you guys were there. And, uh, you know, um, you knew a little bit about the place, I think, at that time. But Maureen knew nothing and uh, didn't want to know, I think, going in to know any background on it. So it was like 12 after midnight and maybe 1230, something like that. A few of us are up on the second floor of the keeper's house, which is now off. The Coast Guard has offices in there, Mm -hmm. but they let us go in there that night so we're standing in this little kitchen area and if you remember maureen at first saying though there's some presence here i think i think it's a wife of a lighthouse keeper but she said oh well she's gone now and then she all of a sudden it was like there was something more powerful going on and her voice changed as if she was somebody else and she was talking like an old lady and i should mention that connie small who you mentioned was the wife of the last lighthouse keeper at portsmouth harbor light and she had passed away several months earlier in february 05 at 103 years old. So anyway, so Maureen starts talking as if she's a really old woman. And I thought to myself, it sounds like Connie. It really sounded like her. And I thought, well, that's not Connie, it's Maureen. And you know, my skeptic was kicking in, right? My skeptical mind. Um, and Maureen was saying, uh, I wanna thank you for the gift. And you said, uh, oh, is it, or no, she said, I wanna thank you. And you said, oh, is it me you wanna thank? And she said, no. And, he no, said, is never it, is. Yeah, never is. And you said, is it Jeremy? And she said, yes. And then she said, I want to thank you for the gift. And, uh, you know, I had given her gifts. So that was interesting. I don't remember and really much else that she said. It didn't go on for a really long time. I think she repeated those things a few times. And then she fell down like a ton of bricks, like she often has done when she does mm-hmm. this channeling. And uh, a little while later, Roxy Zwicker was with us, who was written about haunted stories and stuff of that area and so forth gives tours and you've worked with of course a lot um was uh she was with us that night and um everybody went downstairs i stayed upstairs roxy came back upstairs she was kind of shaken up she said to me connie um i mean she said maureen said to roxy connie wants to thank you for the big yellow flowers right i always forget is it yellow or pink yellow flowers i know i always have the same problem too (laughs) So, um, and uh, what was interesting is that at Connie's funeral several months earlier, uh, in a small church with an open casket in the front of the the church, uh, I was one of the last ones out of the church. Roxy and her husband, Ken, were the last ones out. Roxy had a bouquet of tulips. The minister said, you can put those in the coffin if you want to. She did. Nobody knew that but Roxy and her husband and the minister. And then, like six months later, out of the blue, Maureen says to Roxy, Connie wants to thank you for the big yellow flowers, the big yellow And with that, we're going to end the show. So there you go. 
anyways, Jeremy, thank you so much. I've been speaking with Jeremy Dontremont, uh, author and late house historian. You've been listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, brought to Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Thuin, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Log Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts. And our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio and Patreon, become a member. Thanks for listening, everyone. Good night. God bless. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. 